with me. Father, we just thank you for today. We thank you for Saturday. We thank you for your presence. Lord, we thank you that you're just with us. Lord, we thank you that you see our current state. Thank you, God, that you see us and that you care for us deeply. And I thank you that you're so open to us presenting our stuff to you and taking care of it. Father, I thank you that you see our future. I thank you that you've got plans for us to prosper us and not to harm us. I thank you, Father, that each of us has a better future in store for us than we might even know. Lord, you're so good, and we're so thankful for you. Isn't it great we have a God we can trust in? (laughs) My question is, who, this is my opening question, who is your God? Who is your God? It's interesting that during worship, I felt like, I feel like the part that was hitting us was, you're never going to let us down. Did anybody else feel that during worship? You are good. You're never going to let us down. And it's totally what I want to talk about today. Um, What really matters in your life is your perspective, your perspective, and your expectation really matter. Your perspective has to deal with, number one, what you're looking at, but your current state of affairs. How do you see right now? How do you see the things that are going on in your life? What is your perspective? What's your perspective on yourself, your circumstances, anything? And your expectation has to do with your future, yeah? So what are you expecting? Your perspective and your expectation, that's what we would call your faith. What are you believing? What is your faith? Faith is kind of a weird word. We don't always say it outside of church, but it's your, it's your faith is what you're seeing, how you see things, how you know things, and what you're expecting for your future. Even if you had all the walls crumbling around you or some really weird stuff happening, how do you see what's happening and how do you expect the future to play out in the hands of a loving God who's there with you and he's walking with you? If you came into Christianity thinking that it's going to be cupcakes and roses 24-7, you are incorrect. It's cupcakes and roses in the hands of God and in his presence. But all around you, you might be pressed on all sides, but you're not going to be destroyed. You know what I mean? (laughs) When I just said Christianity is not cupcakes and roses, I could feel there might be a few of us in here. It is cupcakes and roses. In some sense it is, right, when we're experiencing him, which we get to have the opportunity to 24-7. Some of us are, some of us wait for a move of God, but God is actually waiting for us to move in the things that he's already said to do. Isn't that wild? 
people don't come in and go, oh man, maybe, maybe God will want to encounter us today. We don't come in thinking maybe God wants to encounter us. We come in to encounter God. God encountered us when he sent Jesus from heaven to earth and the dude took the dude. Capital D, dude. Took on flesh and dwelt among us. He encountered us. And the Bible says that he made a new and living way. There's an opportunity for us to encounter him. Come boldly before the throne of grace. It's not, if you don't have encounters with God or feeling God, it's not because God doesn't want to. Of course he does. Just look at Jesus. That should answer any of those questions. Are we opening our hearts to encounter him in our life? Yeah? I've been meditating on... Um, I've been meditating on the perceived failures of Jesus and the disciples. The, did you guys hear what I said? The perceived failures, the things that look like a failure at times. But in Jesus' eyes, they were never a failure, right? And in the Gospels, we see the disciples so often wigging out, getting really scared, thinking that they're going to die half the time. When Jesus is literally about to die, they want to throw him off a cliff, by the way. They took up stones to throw at him. You would think your ministry is not doing so hot. Okay? The guy, the guy, big G guy. The guy becomes a baby, and the first thing they have to do is become immigrants in another country because the head of that area wants to kill him. He came on a mission from heaven to earth, and the very first thing that happens, he has to ditch the place he went to. His mission didn't start when he was 30. His mission started from heaven to earth. You know what I mean? He, he, he came for a purpose, and the very first thing his family's got to do is run away. Was his mission failing? I don't think so. Jesus goes and he's tempted by Satan. We know this when he starts his ministry, and yet he doesn't bow to the riches or any of that weird stuff from him. <laughs> Praise God. How often might we be tempted in life and might feel like, man, I might not be doing too hot? Just because you're tempted doesn't mean that you're not doing the right thing. You're just tempted. You guys know Jesus was tempted. That doesn't mean you're doing anything bad. It means you're human, right? How do we, how do we view these things that go, obviously, we didn't have to move out, or many of us, some of us might be immigrants, and there actually is some of us here. There's somebody here that was kidnapped when they were young, and that's crazy. Um, don't worry, it's going to get really good. <laughs> and I was thinking about how Jesus was rejected by his hometown. We know he gets betrayed by Judas. We know he gets disowned by Peter. We know that his own people wanted to kill him. When we look around as humans, we want to be known as humans, right? Maybe not us, but I'm talking about in the flesh. In the flesh, the rich have the power in the world, and people want to be known by them, and the poor have absolutely nothing, and half the time, or maybe more than half, people refuse to look at them. 
and they walk by looking the other way. Well, Jesus, the richest man on earth, gets the treatment of the poor in the worst way possible. Was his mission and ministry a failure? What happens if God calls you to do something and it looks like everything's failing? Is it failing? Or might God be doing something really, really good that you've got no clue what's going on? What happens when you have faith for something but you don't see the miracle? Is it because you didn't have enough faith and God doesn't like you? You know, the Bible, there was two guys that were blind and they came to Jesus. And they said, Jesus, have mercy on us. Jesus said to them, do you believe that I'm able to do this? What a great question. It's so easy. He's not like, is your theology perfect? Do you know I can do this for you? Are you really believing hard enough for it? Do you think I'm able to do this? How simple. And they said, yeah. At that moment when they said yes, and they had already come to him, obviously they believe he's able. Did they have faith? The answer is yes. They said we do. And they did. But were they healed yet? No, they were blind. Their faith was there. The blindness was there. But it was afterwards that Jesus says, be healed. And the Bible says that their eyes were restored. Your faith is your perspective and your expectation before the reward comes. But some of walk in faith, and when stuff is not going the way we want, we think maybe God doesn't want to give this to us. Maybe there's something else. Maybe, maybe I'm failing. Maybe I just really am not good at this thing of faith. No, you're just fine. Do you think he's able to? That's enough. God, God, God can do his job. Are we willing to change our perspective and our expectations in a godly manner, meaning this, is Jesus, through Jesus, the perspective of all your stuff, is he the lens that you see your stuff? Is he the lens that you see your future? Is it in his hands? That's enough, no matter what goes on. And everything that plays out is going to play out really good, even if it looks like it keeps getting worse. Okay, let's look (laughs) Jesus' life, like, there's some really cool things that happen throughout it. But the the guy, big G, the guy goes through a bunch of stuff. He doesn't see the reward until after he's dead. That's wild. And Acts, um, I find this so interesting. Paul, um, in chapter... Chapter 20, chapter 20. Okay, Paul's walking around. And obviously this is ministry, and and we're not all people who are walking around the streets in the Middle East, and we're not all preaching like that, and we're not doing this in terms of, oh, man, my whole life is just walking around and preaching at churches and teaching and preaching the gospel. We could be doing all kinds of things in our life, yeah? But I really want you to really pick up on how Paul's life is going down, okay? (laughs) Paul gets called by God to do something for him, and that something is very simple. He had to dedicate his complete life to it 
and leading the church, but it was to preach the gospel to the Gentiles, to the unbelievers. That, that was his whole thing. No, nothing else. God called him to do one thing, and he's pursuing this thing. Now, ultimately, we've all been called to preach the gospel. We were talking about that last week, but God might be calling you to do other things, you know? You know, there's people that start auto, someone calling, Jesus is calling, what is Bible, you're great, I like it. Is that a Bible audio? No, you're so good. The Lord's talking. I like it. <laughs> Rick, don't worry about it. <laughs> I was thinking maybe I just lay on the floor this whole service like, like a Heidi Baker thing and trip some of you out, but I, I, don't, I really want to say what I'm going to say, but that's the other part of me feels like I just want to lay on the floor and go, oh, Jesus, you're so good. Some of you don't know what I'm talking about, and you're thinking, what did he just say? <laughs> I'm talking about a preacher who... Half the time, well, not really much anymore, but she would just lay on the floor all the time. She'd come speak, and then people would invite her, you know, from the other side of the world to come to their place and talk to them about Jesus. And she'd go up there, and she'd just fall on the floor and be stuck on the ground for a while. And then people would get healed, and all kinds of weird stuff would happen. God could do whatever he wants. You know, honestly, if I was laying on the floor, you probably would get as much as you're going to get me talking to you like this. <laughs> okay, so Paul's walking around. He's preaching the gospel, and we're going to start in, in chapter 19. I'm not going to read it all. I'm just going to tell you what's happening, but if you're going to follow around and you want to read it later, you should. It's amazing. <clears throat> but in chapter 19, all of a sudden, this riot breaks out. They're preaching. And he's got communities, not an individual, not one Joe Schmo on the end of the road giving you a hard time at your job. He's got a city, communities, the Gentiles and the religious people that want to kill him. God says, go preach. Yeah, God, you're going to make me like Joel Osteen. This is going to be great. Obviously, he didn't know Joel, but Joel's amazing too. He actually gets quite a bit of persecution, too. You know, if, if he says, God, you, you, you've called me to preach. You've called me to do something. It's going to be wonderful. All of a sudden, a whole city wants to kill him. The Jews start plotting ways to kill, assassinate him. So it says that, it says when he's leaving, he has to, in chapter 20, he's got to go through another city and escape them. So I don't know how he knew that they were plotting. I'm sure it's in there. I don't know if I missed it. But they're plotting to kill him, and he's going to make side plans. He's got to divert his normal plan to a different plan just so he's not assassinated. Isn't that wild? It gets worse. I love it. Ready? <laughs> then he goes, and, and they're trying to kill him. First, it's the Gentiles. They have a riot. They don't like him at Ephesus. And all of a sudden, the Jews, they want to kill him. So he's got to sneak out this way. And then he goes and he finds the Christians. This is really good. And then he's preaching all night long, and a poor kid falls out the window and dies. <laughs> so you're called to preach the gospel. 
You got a city that wants to kill you. You got the elite of a society that wants to kill you. And then you priest your own people, and a poor kid falls out the window and dies because you talked so long you fell asleep. Isn't that wild? That is good news. The kid gets resurrected. They all go around him. They pray for him. Paul calmed him down. I think he actually kept preaching to them after the kid resurrected. It's quite great. And then it says that the Holy Spirit kept talking to him in every city that he went to. In every city that he went to about the hardships that, were, that he was going to face. In every city that he went to. That there were all these hardships that he was going to face. By the way, my, my message isn't a downing message. What I'm trying to say is, in this world, you'll have hardships. It might not be like Paul. Okay, you might not have cities coming to kill you. Praise God. Yeah? But you're going to have trials. You know, Paul didn't go, he didn't see all these, and this is really drastic, but he didn't see all these people want to kill him. He go, I guess, I guess I shouldn't be doing this. Maybe I'm not successful at this. God, you call me to do this? You call me to preach this thing? Ain't no one wants to listen to this right now, these guys. I, 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 I must not be too good. Right? I just really hope some of you have faith and expectation for God to do above and beyond everything you've hoped, asked, or imagined, both in this life and the life to come, no matter what happens around you, that you can see something else. What is your perspective and what is your expectation? Is your expectation for all things to work out nicely in the world around you? Because if that's your expectation from God, you're going to be in for a whirlwind. But if your expectation is, God, all things work together for my good, no matter what happens, it's going to be great. This isn't a downing message. Some of you are like, oh, my gosh, this bad stuff going to happen. Nothing, nothing. In this world, you'll have trial and tribulation, but be of good cheer, Jesus says. I've overcome the world. This, this message, number one, you've got to understand you're going to have hard stuff, and people are going to have hard stuff. Some of you might be feeling hard stuff. Some of you might feel like, I've been obedient, and I feel like I failed at everything, or I've been obedient, and I feel like everything hasn't worked out the way I had planned it to work out. That, that doesn't mean that you suck. Forgive me for saying that, if that's a bad word to say at the podium, the pulpit. It doesn't mean that you failed if things around you didn't go the way that you expected it to go. So Paul goes, and all of a sudden it's going to get a little worse for him, and he says to the people, oh, man, his church, he says, this is the last time you're ever going to see my face. And they're all so sad about it, crying. And he's recognizing he's going to go through a, a, a season that's going to be kind of wild for him. And we know that he says that he got arrested, and then he gets on this boat, <clears throat> And it might feel for him, I'm assuming, that maybe what God called me into, well, for him, he's believing. But for us, maybe in the flesh, we might not see it how Paul was seeing it there. And 
but we might feel like, man, everything has failed. Nothing's there. God, you told me to preach. You told me to do X, Y, and Z, and now it's all ended, and I'm in handcuffs. How can I do X, Y, and Z when I'm in handcuffs? Paul didn't say it's all over. Paul was recognizing that the Holy Spirit was leading him, and there was a mission for him, and it's still to preach the gospel to the whole world. Isn't that wild? But it didn't necessarily look like him getting it. <laughs> sounds abrasive. It didn't look like him getting the second house or the, the, the for it did, that didn't look like the victory for him. Listen to what he says. I only know that in every city the Holy Spirit once warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. If only I may finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the gospel of God's grace. Isn't that wild? No matter what we're called to, we're not all obviously traveling evangelists, but you are, you are God's minister on the earth. You are his mouthpiece on the earth, right? Um, but what does it look like to live in such a way that... <laughs> Your life is meaningless compared to obedience. Isn't that wild? That's pretty radical. Like, that's as radical as it gets. Succeeding in getting things of the world should mean nothing. Nothing compared to following the Holy Spirit. It should mean nothing. It, obviously, God wants you to be blessed. The Bible says, Jesus says, if you give up houses, you'll receive a hundredfold, both in this life and life to come, okay? I believe God wants you blessed, and he's got things to bless you. But what I'm saying is, those things that are material, compared to you being faithful and just simply walking with the Holy Spirit, no matter what happens in your life, those things accomplishing in the physical mean nothing compared to walking with the Holy Spirit. And then it goes, he gets on a, I love this part, he gets on a boat, so it's getting worse. Now he's arrested, then he's on a boat, and all of a sudden a storm comes, and we know the story. And then the storm comes, and then the boat gets shipwrecked on an island called Malta. I don't know if you know where Malta is. It's underneath Europe, above um, Africa, right there in the middle of the Mediterranean, Malta, the island in the center. The ship that he's on gets shipwrecked at Malta. They all thought they were going to die. So imagine, number one, a city wanted to kill you. Then the Jews wanted to kill you. Then you went and preached all night long, and it was so long a kid fell out and died, but praise God he resurrected. And then you get arrested, and then a storm comes. You're probably really wet, tired, and oh my gosh. And then you get abandoned on an island, and you get to have the pleasure of having a warm campfire right before you. I don't know about you, but I feel like that would be a good moment of rest. I finally get a campfire after we were just struggling with a storm. <laughs> We were struggling with the storm, and the boat gets shipwrecked, and I finally feel comfortable. Many of you already know this story, but it's just so good. Then he's sitting at the campfire, and what happens? A snake comes out and bites him. 
A city, the city he's preaching to wants to kill him. A riot happens. The people, the religious people, which was his own family, he was a Pharisee, they want to kill him. He gets arrested. He goes through a shipwreck. I don't know how traumatic that would be. I'm assuming it would be traumatic. He's at the fire, and now a stinking snake comes out and bites him. He doesn't go, oh, God, you're against me. I must have failed. Sounded like Jerry Seinfeld right there. I must have failed. <laughs> what does he do? He just shakes off the snake in the fire and keeps going about his business. Talk about someone who's been prepped with all the junk and stuff that goes on, and he doesn't give a rip about any of it. He's not phased by a kid falling out of a window and dying. He's not phased by a city wanting to kill him. He's not phased by a shipwreck. He's not phased by a snake biting him. It literally says, he shook it off in the fire. And then he just kept eating, I think. He's just, keep on going with your meal. And it was a poisonous snake. And the people that are looking like, watching him, when's he going to (laughs) die? You know? Isn't that crazy? How, How would we respond right now if all this stuff was going down? How would you respond? I get way less in my life, and I could be a big baby. Oh, my God, Melissa. <laughs> She's like, you're my fifth kid or fourth kid. How many kids do we have? You're my fourth kid. I get like a little cold. I'm, I'm dying. You know? She's like, calm down. <laughs> he gets his thing. He just shoves it in the fire. Goes about his day. Starts eating. Isn't that wild? Me saying hard stuff's going on doesn't mean we're like, oh, man, hard stuff's going to happen. What I'm saying is you can have a perspective and an expectation that changes the game. You're going to have hard stuff happen around you. But does it affect you? When the disciples were thrown in prison, they weren't like, oh, man, not doing too hot. Isn't that crazy? You know what they did? They started singing songs. And they just start worshiping. Miracles started happening multiple times. Angels started appearing, taking them out. You know, earthquake, all of a sudden the doors just opened up. Jail guards going, OMG, I'm going to die. They escaped. They said, don't kill yourself. He's going to kill himself. Don't kill yourself. We're still here. Don't worry about it. We're not rushing out. The jail guard going to kill himself because he thinks they escaped. They said, don't worry. We haven't left for your sake yet. Just relax. He becomes a Christian. How fun is that? The, the cir- if the circumstances around you are the number one thing, then the will of God is literally going to be perverted and prevented in your life. But if the things of the world is not your primary thing, then there can be an open path to see miracles literally in the lives of the people around you. Huh. If Christ is your perspective, not necessarily what you can get out of life, you're going to have an open door for his kingdom manifesting in your life. Do we know what happened in Malta? This is so fun. So let's look at it. I haven't even read any Bible. I've just been telling you what happens. 
You guys are cheating. Here we go. This is uh, chapter 20. Boy, he gets really in trouble. Here we go. 28. Once safely on shore, we found out that the island was called Malta. The islanders showed us unusual kindness. They built a fire and welcomed us all because it was raining and cold. Paul gathered a pile of brushwood and put it on the fire. A viper, driven out by the heat, fastened itself on his hand. When the islanders saw the snake hanging from his hand, they said to each other, this, mu- this man must be a murderer. For though he escaped from the sea, justice has not allowed him to live. But Paul shook the snake off into the fire and suffered no ill effects. The people expected him to swell up or suddenly fall dead. But after waiting a long time and seeing nothing unusual happen, they changed their minds and said he was a god. (laughs) Praise God there's another sentence after that, you know? There's an estate nearby that belonged to Publius, <laughs> the chief official of the island. He welcomed us to his home and for three days entertained us hospitably. His father was sick in bed, suffering from fever and dysentery. Paul went in to see him and after prayer placed his hands on him and healed him. When this had happened, the rest of the sick on the island came and were cured. They honored us in many ways. And when we were ready to sail, they furnished us with the supplies we needed. Paul was still a prisoner at the end of all of that. And he had to continue on his merry way with the will of God on his life. Isn't this fun? A snake comes out and bites him. They think he's going to die. Next thing you know, they go, oh, my OMG to him. Then they invite him, they're being hospitable to him. All of a sudden, he heals a dude, prays for him. Then the whole island brings all the sick to him, and revival breaks out. Malta today is like, is 95% Christian today. Isn't that fun? It's been through like multiple conquerors, and it's 95% Christian today. How cool is that? I think there's a heritage there. It's a long-lasting heritage. This is 2,000 years. I think that's really fun. I think sometimes we do things and you only see a small percentage of what you're actually doing. And may we not be tempted to look in the flesh and see everything that's wrong around us and miss all that's good. Jesus has 10 lepers come to him. He says, "Go, go tell the priest you're healed. They still have leprosy. They walk away from Jesus, and as they left Jesus, on their way, they got healed. One of them sees that he's now been healed on the way, goes back to Jesus and says, I'm healed. Only one, 90% of the people didn't come back to Jesus. He only saw 10% of the ministry of what he did. There's so much that you do in your life when you're walking with Christ that you will not see the ripple effect of 
but it is surely happening. Do not grow weary in doing good. You might only see a small percentage, but God's wanting to do a great and mighty work through you. And it might be real simple. It's just loving on the person next to you. So how do you see the things around you? My encouragement is, I hope that you can see Christ right before you. That there's no storm, there's no threat, there's no mocking, there's no trial, there's no pain, there's no pressure, there's no poverty, there's no, any plan of the enemy can change your vision and your perspective that the almighty God is with you. And he has the power to do wonders. Nothing bad around you means that your future looks bleak. If something happened, bad happens in the world with just like people of the world, oh my God, the world's ending. Yeah? Anybody recognize that? Not with our God. The future is never bleak when you've got the guy who's radiating light walking with you. You understand? It can get dark around you, but you've got the living God in you, the miracle worker in you. You might go through trials and go, man, I've been waiting for this, or I've been walking in this, or I've been obedient in this, or I've been, I've been faithful to believe for this. Good. Keep going. Keep going. I only see a little bit of response from God. Yeah, it's okay. 90%'s floating out there. Maybe you can't see it, but God's doing a whole bunch all around you. Yeah? How? He's going to make all things work together for your good. And he will never, ever, ever leave you nor forsake you. Ever. Some of us, when you have your current stuff happening in your life, and your perspective, what's your perspective? Some of those things happening to you, you can recognize this is outside my control. A storm happens, coronavirus, whatever. Things happen. You realize I didn't do any of that. But sometimes we have hardships going around us, and we feel like we recognize those hardships are because of my failures. I did this wrong. I did that wrong. That's why I have this. Obviously, none of us are saying, oh, I sinned last week, so coronavirus hit. Like, no one's thinking that, right? But some of us might be thinking, man, I've been just doing this bad stuff, so this bad stuff's happening to me. Yeah? The Bible says that the righteous may fall seven times, but they get back up. The wicked fall when calamity strikes. The righteous may fall seven times, but they get back up. <laughs> 
Don't let your past, the enemy use your past to make you feel like you're stuck in misery forever. That's ridiculous. Jesus paid the price to deal with all of it. You, you could not become more holy than you are when you place your faith in Jesus. Like, if the guy washes you, you're washed. Like, you're clean. If he washed you, you're clean. You're good. Your issues, it's a mind game, your issues, issues are just going to happen. You understand? The devil wants you to be thinking about all your failures. What you need to be thinking about is the victory of Christ and that he's made you a new creation. And you need to be meditating on that. You need to recognize you're a new creation. The old things are gone. All things have become new. And if I've got trials all around me, it's going to lead to revival in some unique place that I could have never imagined. Who is going to preach to the people at Malta? I don't know. But God had a way to get Paul there. You know what I'm saying? The stuff that goes on in your life and you feel like I'm failing or this isn't working out, he's taking you where you need to be if you're his kid. If you're in a job and you feel like this ain't working out, like da-da-da-da, it's okay. It's okay. It's okay. I'm not saying ignore the problems. I'm just telling, I'm not saying I must not have hurt Paul to suffer a little bit. I'm just saying it's gonna turn out okay. I'm saying God is here, right here, right now. He's here. If God be for you, who can be against you? Ha <laughs> how fun. Wow. There were times Jesus didn't have money in, the, in his offering box. Did he fail at ministry because he ran out of money? They came up to him, oh, my God, Jesus, how are we going to pay for this? Jesus didn't go, oh, my God, I didn't do a good enough job doing the offering call. <laughs> what does he tell him? He's like, man, go catch a fish, and you'll find a gold coin in its mouth. What? Jesus preaches the gospel. Thousands of people, thousands, are following him in the desert for days without eating. Imagine how much, like, they're sold out in this moment. In fact, they wanted to make him a king, okay? They're chasing him for days in the desert with no food. If that was happening to a modern preacher, they'd be like, man, I'm really successful. I'm not judging anybody. I'm being facetious for you. That could be portrayed in a worldly perspective as successful. Then Jesus has the audacity to say, eat my flesh. Drink my blood, and you'll have life. And they go, what the heck? And they walk away. They leave. 5,000 people, gone. I've never preached and seen everybody stand up and walk out. I sometimes see people walk out. You know, you're like, 
didn't mean to offend you. Just kidding. I don't, hopefully no one's offended. It doesn't matter. Um, <laughs> I actually don't care if you're offended. I care for you, but I don't care. Jesus is preaching, and all thousands of people, as he's talking to them, are looking at him with eyes like, you're crazy. And they walk away from him in front of his face. Thousands of people. That's not success, some might think. Was Jesus successful in his ministry at that moment? Yes, because he's telling them what they need to hear. Yeah? <laughs> Come on, guys. I'm so happy. About He's so good. You, this, this relates to anything in your life. Oh, God, you call me this job. Now it feels like, oh, everything's gone wrong. And we get really dramatic as humans. Oh, it's so bad. All right? Any other humans in here? Wow. And then Jesus looks at his disciples. He's like, you guys going to leave too? He's not even, he's not like, oh, oh no, I got to change my message. That's not even close to on his brain. He's got a calling from the Father, and he's doing something that God's called him to. It's all failing, and he's not like, oh, no, I, uh, maybe I shouldn't be saying what you want me to say. That's not even close to Christ's mindset. It's not close to what Paul's mindset was. It's not close to any of these guys. Where, where's Christ at? He doesn't, oh, no, no, he's, just, he's, so, he's watching them leave in front of him. And then he looks over his side and says, you guys going to go too? <laughs> I'm okay. You guys going to go too? And then they go. We, we ain't going anywhere. You, know, you got the words of life. That's success right there. It might have just been 12, but they changed the world. Man. Come on. The little bit that you're doing in your life faithfully is going to have massive effect in your life, around your family, in your neighborhood, literally to the world. You won't, you won't see all of it. Your faithfulness truly changes the world. The human instinct is always, I got to sit around, man, but God, change this world. Change the world. You have so much power in you. The power of God is right here. We think, oh, power of God's up there. God, please. He says, it's in you. Please send the rain. You've got a river. We might not see it so clearly, and that doesn't mean that we're not going to have problems. But we can be of good here because we got a God who's crazy good, and his time is going to be perfect. His friends came to him and said, Jesus, pray for Lazarus. Come, he's going to die. He goes, nah. What? Jesus, he's going to die. I'm going to wait here. A couple days later, Jesus gets there. Where's Lazarus? He's dead, Jesus. 
We told you, if you had been here, he'd be alive. Then Jesus says, open up the stone. Jesus, he's been dead for days. It's going to smell bad. Open up the stone. Roll it away. They roll it away. Lazarus come forth. He comes out looking like a mummy. Truly, he was wrapped in linen clothes. It says, bunch of Jews believed. He proclaimed himself as the resurrection and the life in that moment. The one who had power of resurrection. He had shown himself as the physician. He was showing himself as the one who has the power of resurrection. Ha. You might think, because you know God is good in certain ways, and all of a sudden he's not showing up in the way that you wanted for whatever thing you wanted. It doesn't mean he's not that and he doesn't want to show up. But he's also this, and he's going to show you how great he is, and he's leading you into an even greater revelation of his goodness so that what you do in life can lead to other people who don't know him. That's the whole purpose of why we're here. People don't know God. It's the only reason Jesus hasn't come back. Literally the only reason. Yeah? I feel like I say that every time I preach. It's the only reason Jesus hasn't come back. It's because he wants more people to be saved. He loves all of us so much.